Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. My name is Will Holden, and today I am joined by Mark Wall. How are you, sir? Aside from a cold and bad internet, I'm pretty good, man. Thank you. Good stuff. And Andy, how are you, sir? Yeah, all good, man. Yep, not asking. Fair enough. No one cares uh, this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Today we are going to discuss a film, an album, and a top five list. Today, these are Andy's choices. Just give us a quick rundown of your choices, bud. Yeah, so the film is the Tim Burton film, Ed Wood. Then we're going to be looking at Phantom Birds by Matt Berry. And we'll be listing our top five songs based on their lyrics. Superb. As per usual, then, shall we start with the film? As you said, there is Ed Wood from 1994, directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, Vincent D'Onofrio, Bill Murray, and many more. I've got a, a slight blurb for you. An aspiring director, Edward D. Wood Jr., attempts to fulfill his dreams of making movies despite having little talent. He had an eye for talent. I met Bella Lugosi. I thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. You flying saucer? He had a passion for storytelling. Get me transvestites. I need transvestites. You're flashy. Andy, what drew you to Ed Wood as a choice? Exactly the same as I said last time, really. I'm basically using my picks as an opportunity to watch films that I've wanted to watch and not got around to yet. So I think like I heard about this film 10 years ago and meant to watch it and for some reason never had. The first review on IMDb basically reads the same and just sort of says I've been waiting 10 years to watch this for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> just one of those films that seems to be on a lot of lists but isn't widely actually watched. I don't know. I... I'm not a huge Tim Burton fan, it's not that particularly, but the the kind of subject interested me. Like, I don't know much about, about Edward's films, apart from the fact that he's been often kind of heralded as the worst director of all time. Yeah. I don't know, the subject matter of it kind of interested me. Like Absolutely. I say, just, just for some reason, never watched it. Marco, any uh, any broad thoughts? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Right from the start, the title sequence with the uh, sort of pan through the graveyard and the octopus and everything like that. Was loving that, was loving the style of it. It's just a super fun, easy watch and made me wonder what the hell has happened to Tim Burton in the last few years, really. Don't have many complaints overall. 
I just, uh, yeah, very much enjoyed it. As soon as I finished it, I immediately looked up Tim Burton's IMDb to see what he's made recently, because yeah. the same. What, he's just made a few kids' films. Yeah. And uh, same with Johnny Depp. I knew that like, Martin Landau won an Oscar for Best Supporting oh, Actor. Know. Yeah, uh, but I thought Johnny Depp was excellent in it as well. I sort of forgot yeah. that Johnny Depp is genuinely good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, what's he done? What's he done in the last 10 years? Completely reminded me, like, why Johnny Depp was once a big deal. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, no, he's he's superb in this. But, yeah, I wrote both of those notes, like, what happened to Depp and sort of what happened to Burton. <laughs> I feel exactly the same. I wanted to just go back to those opening credits because I, too, thought they were superb. I really like hammer horror, kitschy mm-hmm. model work. I, I'd guess that they are entirely based on a on an Edward film, but it's kind of referenced later on as well when he's making Plan Nine. Yeah, yeah, like that is probably the opening to an Edward film that uh, that Tim Burton has stylized. I guess it looks great. It's a really like it's a really fun intro to the film and. Although it's a film that like often deals with some pretty kind of like heavy subjects and actually with more sensitivity than I thought it would in a lot of cases. Yeah. It's still it's still a pretty lighthearted film and it's it's at least played off to be a, a fun tone, I think. Yeah, completely agree. Like I wasn't expecting it to be like a teardown of Edward. I always kind of I mm. presumed that <laughs> Tim Burton maybe had at least some kind of affection with him. And that was why it was made. But I don't know. You're right. Like, I do, I wasn't expecting it to be quite as sort of charming and lighthearted. No, and I found Edward and his, like, supporting cast to be mostly, like, really enjoyable and endearing set of, like, oddballs. Yeah. Um, it seems to be a celebration of the the kind of B-movie culture, the, the off-kilter, uh, which suits Tim Burton. But as you say, it's not a slander in any way, is it? Like, I don't think they cover up the fact that he was clearly a shoddy filmmaker, <laughs> like, three things together. But he did it with, like, such an enthusiasm for the for the art of it that it's hard not to get sort of swept up in his, uh, in his I think, ideals. I think that's the entire kind of purpose of the film, isn't it? Like, I guess the most explicitly sort of played out with that like conversation late on that he has with Orson Welles. But like the idea that you don't have to be judged on your kind of accomplishments is sort of the way that you that you tackle it. Like he should be applauded for his like enthusiasm and his kind of lust for his art. And you can't say it's not creative. Yeah. Now, whether the results of that might be awful or not there's a certain sort of level of respect that I think Tim Burton gives him for his endeavours. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think from the point of view of the film, I completely agree. Like I was, I was glad that by the end of the film, there was some success in his life, like something had gone, had gone well. I think as well that idea of him being the worst director of all time is I've not seen any of his films, so it's difficult to say that that's harsh. But... <laughs> I guess he's trying to do something different, isn't he? Like, he sort of has his own vision for stuff. And, yeah, it's it's dealing with kind of a B-movie plot or lack of plot, kind of nonsense 
But I think there's so many just kind of boring films in the world with directors yeah. that make like safe choices. And it just, I don't know. Like, I think it's hard to criticize somebody for outlandish ideals. I think there's something incredibly endearing about like the losers of something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, I, I honestly can't remember any details about it, but I'm sure there's a documentary about the guy who's considered the worst like baseball pitcher in history. And it's just a story kind of about his legacy. And you think, well, there's something endearing about just putting the effort in to be there at all. And to be a professional at anything, like you've got to be real good at it. To be at the bottom of that pile isn't is still a good pile. Hell, I haven't made a film. Yeah, that's it. He gets by just entirely on enthusiasm, doesn't he? And uh, I don't know, it's kind of nice because there's there's no real conflict to speak of. Yeah, he sort of has the the split up with his girlfriend, but it doesn't sort of dwell on that. It's not particularly sad or anything. He just cracks on. But I just love the fact that it was, as you said, it was the little crew of them, his, you know, technical crew and the actors mm-hmm. who he just reused. And everyone seems sort of drawn to him. Like the, uh, I think he's the guy who does the opening credit spiel, the fortune teller guy. Not sure. Chris who Wells, oh, yeah. yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> the actor's, he's great. The actor's called Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones, yeah, I recognise him. He's one of those, you know, you know his face, but yeah, yeah, he he was great. But yeah, they're all with him till the end, which is quite nice. And if you look at the uh, IMDb for his actual films, like the the big wrestler guy, his <laughs> his picture is in, in all the films, so. Obviously, that was kind of true. He stuck with him and all of that. And yeah, it's just, it's super charming. Made me think of like a, like a carnival or like a circus troupe. Yeah, I think that's, that's <laughs> very be- fair. Became a sort of little movie-making family. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's very sweet. I mean, at the end of the film, you get some kind of what happened next bits of text. Put a little bit of a dampener on the, on the happy ending of the film. Uh, when you find that Edward just sort of devolves into alcoholism and, and then and then ultimately dies, <laughs> they obviously didn't touch on any of that like, during the film. Yes, I'm kind of glad they didn't. Like I say, I'm glad that it went out on a broadly happy ending because I I did yeah. feel very attached to these set of characters by the end, and not just for Edward, but that whole cast. Like I really yeah. wanted it to go well, and it and it did. So. I guess I appreciate that, that that's factually kind of what went on to happen. And it is interesting to know what happened next, but just a little bit of a downer. <laughs> it does make me think that maybe the film is a story based on real life and not necessarily real life. Johnny Depp plays it just, he's just endlessly positive, isn't he? Like you see it from the very start where he gets a, a terrible review for his like play and um he picks out like the one uh, not even positive really in the review to just say like the costumes were okay (laughs) (laughs) and he just picks out that as the focus it just kind of sets the character but i don't know if that's accurate at all as to how edward i don't think it matters either i just kind of get the feeling that maybe tim burton has decided to write the characters that'll kind of fit his narrative as opposed yeah. to them actually really being very accurate at all. I love his response to the producer guy saying, 
you know, this is the worst film I've ever seen. And just straight away, and just as well, the next one will be better. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wish, I mean, clearly, I feel like it probably isn't the case, but um, I'd love to think the Orson Welles thing was true. That, yeah, it, they met, met him in a bar and received this sage advice. It's an awesome moment as well. As as soon as you see him in the background, it's they kind of nailed it. That's Vincent D'Onofrio and um, just quality. I love how Orson Welles is this mythical figure throughout and then just comes in for a bit of sage wisdom. Well, like I like that scene as well, but have they dubbed his voice? Just about like his... exactly that. I found, it, I... I found it really off-putting through that scene, watching it and thinking like his voice has been dubbed. That's not that's not him speaking. It's out of sync at times. Like I appreciate the voice they've got is what I understand Orson Welles to sound like. I think that's probably quite a good impression. But yeah, I don't. I I didn't think it was D'Onofrio doing it either. It's interesting. I did notice the sync thing as well. I just kind of thought it was maybe the the stream or something. I wonder if that was uh, intentional. Maybe they did literally rip some of his dialogue from an interview or something. I don't know. Yeah. But then if they had, surely it would have said the voice of Orson Welles or something like that. Or D'Onofrio did it and they were just like, that sounds shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, but that would, you know what? That would be my guess. They just didn't like how his voice sounded. So got yeah. someone to dub it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I've absolutely, like I've not looked it up, but that would be my guess is that they've redubbed it because he didn't like his voice. <laughs> I didn't do very much research, but I couldn't find anything in sort of the cast list or or elsewhere at a glance that said voice of or, or, or anything like that. But maybe Burton was just embracing the uh, the Edward thing of like, oh, that doesn't quite work, but sod it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut, go to press next scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love all of those moments as well. It's where fantastic, <laughs> like the bit in the film that he's making at the end when the. Uh, like the finances, they've got like members of the church are there. And he just says like, cut, that's great. And they're like, but what about the, uh, like, <laughs> you see the, like the, the gravestone that fell over and he's like, it's fine. Oh. Nobody will notice that. <laughs> As I was saying earlier, throughout its, throughout its run, it deals with some surprisingly sort of like big subjects. I think subjects that are quite, spoken about today but kind of surprising to see i guess in 1994 about kind of transvestites and transgenderism well yeah Um, that's what's i'd say what's more interesting is that that's not interesting to be talking about in 1994 like it's based on i mean when did edward make his first film well yeah in the i haven't looked it up but i'm guessing sometime in the 50s yeah it was 50s I mean, it's a hell of a like brave choice to make. You know, I don't. I doubt that there were that many people who, you know, understood him wanting to dress up in women's clothes at the time, no. and to not just make a film about it, but to put Live yourself, as, yeah, put yourself as the main character in the film. Say that this is like a reflection of you. It's, it's, pre- it's pretty brave. As you're saying with the uh, when when he has the Baptist church money, yeah, and he is sort of stressing out when he goes into his dressing room and comes back out dressed in in women's clothing, and suddenly is just like full of confidence and knows exactly what he needs to do. It's another like really endearing part of his character, as you say, like in its 
time period it's set in, it would have been next to unheard of. Even in 1994, when the film was made, I don't think it was a subject people would take very seriously. Yeah, it was brave 25 years ago, let alone, you know. And yeah, you know, there were things like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and and other films that Rocky Horror Picture Show, that kind of, you know, dealt with some of that sort of stuff. Uh, But it also deals with like drug addiction and rehabilitation with uh, Bella Lugosi and like sort of suicide and depression. Also, just like you said earlier, trying to achieve a dream and basically being crushed at every <laughs> every turn and being positive nonetheless. I think you could argue that he achieves his dream. I think eventually, but he goes through a lot of hurdles to to finally get there. But he wants to be a filmmaker. He, he sort of never talks about being the best filmmaker of all time. No, that's true. He just wants to be a filmmaker. He wants to. He has all these ideas, and he wants them to be told. Yeah, and then normally monster goes somewhere. Well, they're mostly Ooh. based on stock footage. <laughs> yeah, thirty yeah. percent stock footage. Ghoul goes west was probably my favourite of his uh, <laughs> of his proposed titles. Yeah, but I think all the yeah for the time period and. Just in general, I think it's relatively sensitive about a lot of those tricky subjects and gives the characters sort of respect, which I think is cool. Yeah, I'm glad they don't make too big a deal out of any any of it either. Yeah. He just tells he just tells uh, is it Patricia Arquette? Yeah. Yeah. The sort of second girlfriend. Yeah, Yeah, it just says in the um in the ghost train or whatever, you know, opens up to her about it straight away. And she just basically accepts it straight away, which is kind of lovely, really. And yeah, same with the uh, drug addiction. It's uh, it's obviously quite sad, but that that friendship between those two is is just super nice. And it's I really realize, sweet. Yeah, I didn't realize he'd won an Oscar. He was very good in it, and but I think it's it's their relationship which which makes it work. And that that moment with Bella Lugosi and the. Uh, and the flower is actually kind of uh, kind of emotional when it when it shows it for the last time. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that Loretta King, the character who uh, the woman he meets in a bar, who he thinks can finance his, his film for the starring role? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is um, Juliet Landau is Martin Landau's daughter? Is it his daughter? Yeah. It is. Yeah. No, right. I saw that it was. Um... I saw a name on the cast, and so I flicked onto her IMDb. I recognise her. I realised because she's in uh, Buffy. She's in Buffy, isn't she? <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't see in a thing that it said that he was her father. You have it was to her dig into the same last name. Yeah, you have to dig into the trivia for it. I, I, uh, I imagine she doesn't. She wants to be taken more seriously than just the daughter of Martin Landau. So maybe, maybe buries that part, but mm. don't get past Detective Will. I'll I'll figure out who, you, who your parents are. <laughs> One thing, really... I, sorry, are you still going on with your uh, with your was, trivia? Was that, was that trivia corner done? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm ready for that, more. That was, uh, I mean, that was all I had offhand. You can check IMDb's trivia and see <laughs> anything I can ape off there quickly. I did have one more point. Go ahead, buddy. I didn't think this whilst I was watching the film. And then when I was thinking about what to talk about for the podcast, I thought, like, there's actually, like, barely any plot. Like, it's just kind of a series of events. 
Like there isn't mm-hmm. really a there isn't really a plot to it at all. Like if you're describing what happened over the course of the film, you're like, well, you meet a, a famous actor who's uh, a heroin addict, yeah, and forward <laughs> away from the from the kind of the light, and um, they make some films. Then he dies. Yeah, it's like two hours fifteen, is it? Like it's two not, hours seven, I think. But it's a it's a good old chunk of film. Yeah, like it's, it's not it's not super short, but I felt like it went quite quick considering there's not much plot. To I it. agree. Like yeah, a, no, it's a it's a breezy watch. Didn't feel long at all. But it was interesting how the opening uh, credit sequence again, and the music kicks in, and I immediately thought, oh, this is vintage Danny Elfman or whatever, because I think they virtually always work together, Burton and Elfman. I think and, up until that, they might have. Where he might have written the music Pretty for much, every, yeah. every film that Burton had done. And I think he's done a lot since, but he didn't do that one. But the, the score was still quite Elfman-esque, I thought. Yeah, Howard Shaw. Is it? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't look it up until just now, but I would have thought it was Elfman, absolutely. Yeah. No, I saw it at the start. They said that it wasn't. Well, you're right. It does kind of, it's still kind of similar to an Elfman score. One of the big pluses of Tim Burton for me is that he always works with Danny Elfman. Yeah, no, it doesn't hurt, does it? No. And yeah, there was the only other thing was there's was some really nice uh, shots, I thought, in general. Obviously, it was black and white, which I can't imagine it in colour. I'm glad they did it in black and white. Yeah. I agree. And yeah, there were just some really nice, really nice shots at various points throughout. The way things were shot and lit was really old-fashioned, like old-school cinema, wasn't it? I remember when... Mm-hmm. Bella Lugosi is kind of threatening to kill himself and he's sat in his big in his big chair like holding a revolver and he's all shot from from below mm-hmm. almost like stage lighting or or like those old sort of hammer horrors would have been would have been filmed and kind of aping that gives it a real authenticity both like as a piece of cinema but it, it makes it feel like it's in the time period it's supposed to be set in yeah definitely we haven't really touched on uh, the performance of Bill Murray, uh, sort of brief as it is throughout the film. He's I, good. Uh, I don't, I don't think he's uh, he's doing anything mind blowing. No, I don't think he's. Uh, it's not one of his crowning glories. But I, they, I, I like a bit towards the end where he seems to suggest like a B story that you never get to see, mm-hmm. where like him and his partner go to Mexico so he can have a sex change, where there's a car accident. His partner's killed, and then he's saved by like a mariachi band. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just I thought like there's this whole second film that I could watch. That I'd, yeah, uh, I'd, I think I'd like to see, but hundred percent. Yeah, he was good. It would have been nice to see a little bit more of him, but it's not. It's not an acting showpiece film. I don't think. No, I totally agree with you as well. Like the two standout performances of the two leads for me and it's entirely based on their relationship yeah i guess the uh the final thing i'd want to say is purely it's got me kind of reinterested in tim burton because there's actually a few of his highly regarded ones that i've not seen there's a couple i mean andy mentioned big fish a couple of weeks back which i've not seen I know you were praising that, so I'd like to give that a go. Mm. And then a mate of mine was saying over text recently that Big Eyes from a couple of years back with Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. Right. It's quite good as well. 
Good cast. Um, like both of them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it worked well enough that I'm wanting to go and check out more of his stuff now. Revisit some Burton. Whereas after, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I was done. So... <laughs> yeah. Cool. Are we ready to give scores? Yep. I think I've gone first for a bit, so do you want me to... Go for it. Want me to lay yeah. it out there? I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Always a corker. Like you said earlier, Mark, just very little to complain about. I think in terms of what it set out to do, I think it did that. And I, I really enjoyed the journey. And for a, a pro two-hour film, yeah. as you said, it's a, it's a breezy watch. And I would absolutely watch it again within a year, I think, and enjoy yeah. it again. It's got funny mo- moments as well. Like that octopus scene is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Isn't it's, it? it's really great. Um, well, fuck it. I'll jump in because um, you, you've changed my mind. Actually, will I'm I'm going to be a sheep. I'm going to go nine as well. I was going to go eight, but you've you've convinced me because, quite honestly, I don't really have any criticisms. Yeah, there's minor nitpicks, but mm-hmm. exactly the same. I, d- I really enjoyed watching it. Like. It's, yeah, let's do maybe, it, let's go nine. Maybe to justify why it wasn't like a 10 after kind of waxing lyrical about it. As you say, I think there are a few nitpicks in it and it isn't sort of entirely mind-blowing. No. But it's a, a really pleasant, thoroughly enjoyable watch. Agreed. What are you saying, Andy? Are you, are you making it a threesome? I'm not, no. I'm, uh... Ah, boo. I'm going to go with a 8 out of 10. I was thinking as you were saying that, because I completely agree. I'd watch it again very soon. I thought it was excellent, and I have very few criticisms, if any, really. But... You're just a harsh critic, man. You've got such high standards. No, I don't think it's that. I think it 100% achieves like what it sets out to achieve. And I think like it, their relationship, like the main two characters, like I said, is quite kind of touching. But I think a lot of it is quite, like, sort of light and playful. Like we said, like, it sort of doesn't... I don't have a huge emotional connection to the film. I think of other films that I count higher that are sort of similar in their kind of... their fun, easy watching. And I have a sort of... I don't know. I connect with it more. Like, the characters are more meaningful to me. And, like, I think a lot of the performances were, were good. But I don't think any of them were outstanding outside of the main two. You know, there's no, there's none of those like cameos where they might not have a huge amount of screen time, but you really connect with the characters and. Well, they rob it, yeah. No, I think that's a worthy explanation of your age. Also, I know that you're a big Boris Karloff fan, so that must have stopped. <laughs> <laughs> it's that lack of the half once again, ruining everything. Will and his bloody stringent rules. <laughs> it makes you make it makes you make decisions. If we give you a half now, next time it'll be like, well, this is a seven point seven five, and then and then where are we? <laughs> then we're down the rabbit hole. So, should we move on then to Phantom Bird, the twenty twenty album by Matt Berry, better known for his performances in Garth Marenghi, uh, Toast of London. The IT crowd, 
Year of the Rabbit, which had just been cancelled, but I thought it was excellent. Year of the Rabbit. And it's his eighth studio album. You said, John, I asked how high cool it gets, just something in my eye, but here I I'm going to throw it right back to you, Andy. Is it the same reasoning for the film? Uh, no, it's not. I no. Um, <laughs> So I've listened to a couple of his albums before. And I remember saying after the podcast recorded last week that I thought he could genuinely be a musician instead of a, instead of a comedian. I sort of stick by that as well. Like, I think he's definitely got, definitely got some talent there. I, I was really hopeful that this would be good, but I also thought it had the potential to be really bad. We, we've done a lot of albums that we've all liked recently, mm-hmm. uh, Deftones aside. Deftones, so, yeah, I yeah. thought I thought maybe picking something that had the potential to be bad would be interesting. All <laughs> we'll, right. We'll get, we'll get on to what I think later on. Sure thing. Go start us off, Will. I will. I will start us off. I am a big fan of Matt Berry professionally. So it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. (laughs) I thought this was quite ordinary. It's not for lack of talent. I think, as you say, like it's not because he is bad at being a musician, but I found it to be just kind of down the, right down the middle, um, both kind of musically and lyrically. I think for a little while, as I've not really listened to a lot of Matt Berry's music prior to this, I was almost waiting for the joke. And I think that's unfair. Like, I don't think that's how I should be judging that album. But I think I was anticipating it to have some comedic spin. And it, and it doesn't. It's a serious music album. All of his albums, I'd say, are very, like, earnest. Like, I don't think there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no punchline in there. I would say as well, I think all of his albums... I get the feeling that he's a big muso. His other albums, they're not necessarily the same, but I think they sound like he's trying to copy a sound. There's a type of sound that he likes, and so he's trying to make an album where he replicates that. And I think that's very true on this album as well. Marco, thoughts? So my moment of clarity with this one came at my uh, lunch break today. When I went downstairs and cracked into the uh, the ham sandwich that Sophie had made for me kindly last night. Lovely. And uh, <laughs> I thought to myself as I bit into the sandwich, because I hadn't had any breakfast, you see, so I was, I was pretty damn hungry. I was like, this, this is pretty good. And I, I thought I'd better listen to this record again, so I put it on. I was eating the sandwich, and I was just thinking, right... This album is the equivalent. If if you take this sandwich, which is very plain, there's no lettuce in there, there's no crunch. It's just like a crappy slice of ham. Now, the trick was I had Lurpak on there, which immediately, and I'm sh- sure you guys can agree, elevates the sandwich. Okay. Now, <laughs> Matt Perry is... You know Morrison's margarine. I'm afraid he's 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 not he's not hitting <laughs> low pack levels, and you know. So he's not even the ham in this analogy. 
No, he's not the ham. And his his bread is is a little <laughs> bit stale as well, sadly. Yeah, I completely in line with what you said, Will. I think um I tried quite hard to like this. And I, I do have further thoughts, which we'll get into, but let's let's throw it back to Andy. Yeah, I have quite a lot of criticisms of it. Like as a whole. I, I sort of anticipated that you guys wouldn't like it, particularly having listened to it a little bit. And I sort of thought that I would end up on the side of the defender. Not that I think it's outstanding. I think every song is crying out for like a middle eight or a B section or just something different. Like there's no variety yeah. either across the across the songs. Like I think I just about picked out what's my favorite track. But honestly, I could have picked any of them because there's none of them that I dis that is like strongly dislike at all. And I quite quite often I like his initial ideas as well. Like I think yeah, he does, I think he does have a bit of an ear for melody, like those little like pop sensibility melodies. Not... It just feels like a like a sort of rudimentary understanding to the point where he can he can yeah like you say he can sort of write a catchy tune, but it's just sort of the obvious catchy tune. I think mm. there's definitely nothing kind of like spectacularly interesting about any of the songs. I do think some of the arrangements are quite like subtly nice as well. I, I noticed it when I was listening with better headphones on. That there's like quite a bit of just like real sat back little counter melodies that I sort of hadn't picked out at first. I'm not, again, like I'm not trying to say that it sort of saves the album, but yeah, just little like organ lines or tiny bit of flute here. And they're really sat back in the mix and quite like subtle, but actually quite nice and sort of fit into the overall sound. Yeah. I do do have plenty of positives about it as well, but uh, overall it was... It's kind of underwhelming, I guess. I think what was summed it up for me, I was playing it in the car the other day, and um, so I was saying to, like, Sophie, oh, what do you reckon I've got to, like, talk about this, like, in a few days? Put on one track. Now, to be fair, no offence to her, but I'm, I'm not, her opinion on music isn't going to, like, sway anything necessarily. But I did think it was interesting, like, she wasn't that bothered by it, and then I switched song a couple of times, and I said, like, oh, what do, what do you think of this one? And she was just like, this isn't that the same song? <laughs> it's like, it may as well be. And I was, like, pissing around earlier when I was supposed to be working and um, just, like, playing along to a couple of the tunes. And they're so, I mean, two songs. The uh, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in my something eye. in my eye. Yeah. And In My Mind a bit later on they're exactly the same tune i mean it just they both start on a minor the exact same groove one goes to d minor one goes to g melody very very similar tempo pretty much the same strumming pattern more or less the same and there's multiple examples of it throughout and it comes back to that thing of does something have to be interesting or unique no absolutely not but it's it's just copy and paste music a lot of it for me. I think there will absolutely like be an audience for this. Like I feel this for me at least fits more into a category of just not for me as more as it 
does like outwardly bad music. Like I say, I think the the worst criticism I can give is that I find it a bit boring. It, like you say, structurally, the lyrics seem to be quite sort of ABC lyrics that rhyme mm-hmm. most of the time, <laughs> and I think that sort of works for him. Um, it's hard to it's hard to sort of give this type of criticism without sounding like a bit of a bit of a dickhead. But it's just a bit a bit basic, I think. I wrote down my favourite line. Which was? was uh, so I went to the wise man who gave me some leaves. What the hell am I meant to do with these? <laughs> <laughs> that, is a good, that is actually a good line, 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. But I, I agree. I, I, I'm not that familiar with Matt Berry. Obviously, I've seen some of the stuff you mentioned, but I'm, I'm not overly familiar. I kind of was waiting for some more comedy stuff as well. Which, as you say, isn't particularly fair. But what the hell do you expect? He's a he's a comedian doing music. So yeah, I I get that point of view. I guess because I'd listened to some before, I was not expecting that in the slightest. Like I kind of knew that they're two very separate things. But I do think like his comedy, whether you like him or not, I mean he does the same thing in everything that he's in as well. He is very Matt Berry, but it is that kind of slightly leftism comedy so i don't think he has to be funny in his songs but it's very safe and it's the opposite from what his comedy is mm. he's had plenty of success don't get me wrong with his comedy but they are usually in projects that are have a bit of a cult following as opposed yeah he's to... not going to be michael mcintyre is he no i read that he was very inspired by dylan's like nashville albums and that was the kind of sound that he wanted to go for, which is probably more simplified than what he's done on other albums. But also I remember, like, I had John Wesley Harding on CD when CDs were a thing, and I never <laughs> I never really liked it either. No particularly <laughs> being a big Dylan fan. So it's maybe not necessarily up my street anyway. Yeah. I just think there's there's a lack of... Sorry, Will. Just, just whilst I remember... It's it's not necessarily that it's not. I don't need it to be funny. I just I want some character. I found for a comedian, I expected there to be more character to his voice and vocals. Found them quite bland for the most part. Um, See, I do actually quite like his voice. It's just fine. It's just kind of there. It's. I think it's he, got quite a nice sort of. You're right that it's not mega like characterful, but I think it's just quite a nice. A sort of soft, it's pleasant. It's, yeah, like, I, I quite like his tone. Yeah, I, d- I don't mind it, but I just it's not. It's not it just sounds like a guy singing. There's, there's no, and it all sounds very much the same. Again, his vocals. There's no peaks and troughs. It's just here's what I do. I'm just going to do it track after track. Yeah, I think like it's produced nicely. I think there is nothing actively bad about any of the songs but it just it just toes the line uh so much for it to just kind of be a bit vanilla in the end i think the rating that i'm going to give the album is probably the rating that i would also give to every single song individually because <laughs> i don't think any are really better than any others like the mm-hmm. positive things that i say are kind of the same about every song like I say i quite like his voice and i think some of the Sort of background instrumentation is quite nice. I liked the organ stuff. That was yeah. pretty cool. 
kind of slight Canterbury vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Did it, was it either of you bothered by what I took to be? I, I don't know if it's uh, auto tune, but his he had a vocal effect on several tracks, particularly Phantom Birds, the title track. It's and, the only uh, song I noticed it on. Yeah, it did bother me slightly. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's it's this weird digital sound which feels very much against what he's trying to do. I don't know why he went for it. Um, and I think it's auto-tune. I think it's auto-tune like... as well. It's unnecessary as well because auto-tune is... Yeah, it's, um, it is. Almost everybody auto-tunes their voice slightly. Like, I don't particularly have, a, have an issue with that. It's just how far you push that to giving it a sort of slightly digital sound or keeping it quite quite acoustic sounding and yeah on that i only really noticed it on that song but on that song yeah it just sounds like it's been auto-tuned yeah i can't say i'd really noticed until you brought it up but yeah slightly annoying i guess you mentioned that you thought you'd managed to whittle out a favorite song andy yeah just about um what are you going for uh, i'm gonna go for track four uh moonlight moonlight flit yeah i quite like the melody in that one, it does the same thing as the rest of the songs, really, where it never particularly moves away from it. Also, the chorus slightly disappoints me because it, I think the chorus sounds like a pre chorus. Mm-hmm. I don't dislike it, but it sort of feels like it's building to something and then it doesn't. I like, I like all of the bits individually in that song. I just, like I say, like I would have liked that chorus to build to a bigger chorus. And also, like, there's no B section, there's no middle eight, there's like instrumental breaks quite often there. I think in that one as well, it's just the guitar playing the like vocal line, essentially, mm-hmm. which yeah. is okay. Like I think sometimes that's quite effective, but it means there's nothing to break up the, the song. I don't no. know why I'm being negative about it. I said it's my favorite song. I quite like the melody <laughs> in it. The mel- I think it's actually like quite a nicely written song in terms of like melody and stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you got one, Marco? Um, I'll go with Take a Bow. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a couple. It's, it's tough because a couple sound very similar, but I think that was the one I selected as it doesn't have much of a melody at all. I just kind of liked the... I thought the lyrics worked kind of well in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't... <laughs> You know, it's Andy said it, and it's true. I mean, I don't think there's anything that's just particularly bad on there. No, I think I would probably plump for "You Danced All Night." Yeah, it's verse, got a nice the, chorus. The verses have those kind of off-key, where the the sort of vocals and the guitar and bass are, are kind of slightly off off kilter from each other, and it's one of the few bits I think of alternative kind of music interest. I'm going to phrase it like that. <laughs> it's interesting I mean, that actually when you said those songs, I kind of know what songs they are. Mm-hmm. Like I can remember the chorus from Take A Bow and I can remember You Danced All Night, like how the melody goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not why particularly. I think there is a slight... when They're not particularly like interesting melodies in terms of them doing anything like particularly interesting or different. But there is yeah. a slight, like, earworm quality to them. But that's perhaps why they're memorable, is that they're kind of aping pop of yesteryear that you've you've heard over and over again for all of your life. <laughs> I admire the simplicity in a way. I'll, I'll say that because 
you know, it was just sort of playing along to some of it earlier, just kind of interested, like what the chords were and that kind of thing. Most of it was quite simple. Even the stuff that sounds slightly more edgy or dark, it's still relatively basic, which is fine. But the thing I liked about it is it did just feel like it's a guy who's just sat at a guitar and quickly bashed out some songs. Now, that could also be seen as a negative, but I kind of admire the kind of fact he just did it. It feels very off the cuff and... You know, I'm all for the kind of I'd, punk DIY approach. Yeah, like, good on him. And it's not bad. Like, I, you know, it's... The problem is, though, there, there's a certain offensiveness in being average. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's, um, what I, it's what I mean, though, about him trying to, like, copy a sound... I, I do mm. kind of wish that he would just try and do his own thing a little bit because I don't I don't get the feeling at any point during the album that he's trying to find a Matt Berry sound. He's just trying to yeah. copy copy a sound that he likes. You know what I mean? I guess I can. Yeah, I do. I, I guess I can appreciate that if like this is just for him, like he's making these just because he's a huge fan of these albums. Then again, like you were saying, Mark, all power to him. Like, good for you. I don't know if either of you read anything about the album, but so I know his first album he recorded, like he played everything on it. And I think he plays like 90% of the instruments on this one. But so his drummer on this was uh, Craig uh, Blundell. Don't know if that's pronouncing that right. Only interesting to me because it's uh, Stephen Wilson's drummer. Okay which seems an unusual choice when I don't didn't notice a single thing that he did during the album. <laughs> no, I can't say the drums stood out at any given moment. And the kind of like the um, steel slide guitar that's pretty much on every track uh, yeah. was BJ Cole, who, again, isn't somebody I was aware of, but I checked out his uh, like Wikipedia page and he's done it. He's a Big session, mus- yeah, session yeah. musician who's done it, worked on a ton of great albums. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you often get those with like people who have speciality parts like a, a session guitarist a ten a penny but a session slide guitarist probably like four that just do everything yeah <laughs> everything it's just amazing like here. some of the some of the albums that he's worked on it's like what how did you end up working on this album particularly yeah these like unknown superstars of music and i think the sort of slide guitar particularly it kind of fits into that thing i was saying about it being like quite sort of subtly background nice like it all feels like very appropriate to the song nothing is kind of out of place i do think it is a decent copy of that kind of music just maybe isn't what i'm looking for in an album yeah yeah sort of like a like a ready meal lasagna all the ingredients are in there but it's just not as good as the one your mama makes yeah God, we've got the sandwich analogy. We've had the lasagna, <laughs> the homemade lasagna analogy. Also, my mum couldn't couldn't make an album this good. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> and I, also I, Matt, Matt Berry makes a great lasagna. So that's true. <laughs> Serves it with a pork pie sausage roll. <laughs> Are we at the stage for scores? Yeah, Marco, five out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to have to follow the course, to be honest. It is just, much as the album itself, absolutely middle of the road, five out of ten. Yeah, I um, 
I was expecting you guys to say five out of ten and potentially worse. It's why I wrote down a few positives because I thought like, oh, I'll try and put a bit of a positive spin on this, and I might even sure. might even spin it out and give them a six. But in the end, I don't think I've put up a very very strong defense at all. <laughs> Because well, I, think... I, I don't really believe it. I think Five is exactly right. There is nothing wrong with any of the songs on the album. I will give every single one of them an absolutely middling score of five. <laughs> That's it. Like, I never toyed with going below that. The idea of below that would, like I say, mean I'd, I'd start to believe it's actively poor. And it's certain it's not, but... Um... <laughs> it's just sort of, just sort of nothing. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. So in I, like your other, to, I like your other work. So in me trying to pick something that went a bit against the grain, um, <laughs> so, so, that it, so that it wasn't just us all talking about how much we like something, we've all given this the exact same score, a bang average five. Of middle. Success. <laughs> Good. That was controversial, wasn't it? <laughs> controversial choice <laughs> so the mighty list sounds like this might have been a hard one to accumulate i certainly found so <laughs> we just remind, remind ourselves it's the top five songs based on their lyrics mm-hmm. but i'll kick it off i suppose uh, number five is a sentimental song by the band ultrasound Hey, I am. I was going to say I'm semi-familiar with Ultrasound, but I'm not familiar with that song. So, I think the reason I've gone for it, I wanted to have something which sort of represented, I don't know, '90s indie uh, mm-hmm. sort of music that I was listening to as a teen. I suppose when you were uh, obviously jamming along to uh, Chino Moreno. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, Mondo. Uh, but it's just, I don't know why I picked this one in particular. I think it's just, there's a lot of lines in there which I just really stick in my mind. There's a lot of nice imagery. I mean, I realise that this list is just going to evolve into people saying what the lyrics are. So I'll try and keep it to a minimum. Yeah, but... you've, you've got to know, I think, yeah. Like, you can't talk about the lyrics and give us zero examples. The thing is as well... The other thing I will say is there's there's no way really that you can just read words and, you know, know how they exist within the song. No. Unless it's a folk tune, possibly. So some of these probably won't sound that great, but in the context of the tune, they work really well. So try these on for size. We tried in vain, awash with fake abandon, romantic as a glitter ball. Of all the fantasies affected, just came and went and left me cold. Sawn to dust, now friendship serves a purpose, like a tablecloth. That's frayed around the edges, but it's good enough to the uninvited few. I mean, it's just like, perfect for an angsty teen, really. Yeah, yeah, there's some <laughs> yeah. nice little imagery in there, isn't there? And it's a nice song. Again, I don't really, you know, it could have been a could have been a suede pick, but that's my representation of that that kind of music, I suppose. Cool, excellent. So number five for me is Samson by Regina Spector. I could have easily picked five songs that are that are kind of singer songwriter driven, um, and this is definitely one of them. But I think rather than there being 
like a particular few lines that I really like to it or can even kind of pick out. I won't read you some, but um, it's more the kind of story throughout it, I guess. I think it's a great song as well. I don't think you can separate the two either because however good the lyrics are, if it's a story and you're not sold on the story, then it's kind of irrelevant if they're superbly written lyrics. Uh, Yeah, this is just a... I think it's a little, like, retelling of the story of kind of Samson and Delilah where Delilah loves Samson and she cuts his hair and there are no consequences. He's He loses his powers and he's fine with it like it's just a very sweet little story but one of the reasons i picked it is that i like the lyrics a lot anyway but in reading about the song apparently she wrote it about her partner at the time who was dying of cancer i think since died of cancer i think it kind of cast the kind of lyrics in a completely different light Mm -hmm. um kind of referencing the like you know Samson went back to bed, not much hair left on his head. I think little things like that just it, it gives it a much kind of deeper meaning. Yeah. Uh like the end of the last last chorus is like, oh, we couldn't bring the columns down, we couldn't destroy a single one, and the history books forgot about us, and the Bible didn't mention us, not even once. And yeah, I just think it's a real nice, nice little story. They're not writing the great love story, it's uh like nobody cares or he's going to write about it. It's just a like little personal <laughs> thing. I just think it's really sweet and well written. Yeah, oh, great choice. I'll, I'll check it out. I need to check out Spectre. You keep keep mentioning it. Go on, well, definitely some stuff in there. Um, well, much like you two have said, my list is made up of of various things for various reasons. But the first song I'm going to pick is. National Shite Day by Half Man, Half Biscuit. It's a kind of broadly comedic, kind of British street poet-ish hunk band, sort of. (laughs) I've tried to listen to Half Man, Half Biscuit a few times. And they never quite connect with me, but the lyrics are always really good. <laughs> They're always like this, like slightly satirical little like slant on uh, on things. It really like if it weren't for the fact that we're basing this purely purely on the lyrics, I don't think a half man half biscuit would come anywhere near like <laughs> a top five songs for me. But as you say, that kind of um, sideways glance at British society. And it has that particular song has the the fantastic line, there's a man with a mullet going mad with a mallet in millets. For a start, you sort of have to know what millets is, but otherwise, <laughs> it's really hard to say. It's really fun and never fails to make me laugh when I hear that. Yeah, great nice. line. Uh, no, you're um, right. Like I think I put like bands like Bell and Sebastian in the same kind of sphere, although their lyrics aren't always as like overtly funny. I always think mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a real little little like charm to the lyrics that definitely Absolutely. like puts it for me like puts it above a lot of their kind of contemporaries, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think that's quite fair. You just struck wow. on something, Ooh. which I think I've fundamentally got wrong in this list, Will. Which uh, the clues in the uh, title, isn't it? You like the song because of the lyrics. 
I don't think I've done that. <laughs> like, I think it's just songs I like that where I also like the lyrics. <laughs> and I mean, they kind the... of work with the music. Like, so, don't get me wrong. Like, there's, there's plenty in my list that are stuff that I also like anyway. Like, regardless. It's not, it's not exclusively things that I've selected well, outside of my normal comfort zone. To be fair, I blame Andy for his... Uh, Awful, <laughs> awful description. I can't, I can't really understand was. what how you've picked your list though. Well, <laughs> it's like the way you hate the song, but the lyrics are quite good. <laughs> like, how have you picked it? <laughs> no, so like, I don't know. Right, I'm going to make a substitution based on this newfound clarity in my own mind <laughs> of what the list actually is. So I will say I had Born Free before. Mm-hmm. which is a song I don't like because of the lyrics, but I think the lyrics suit that song perfectly. Sure. I love the song. I went for a, for a wee once uh, when I was out having a few beers. It was probably mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And somebody started singing it at like the urinal next to me and the entire <laughs> entire toilet started singing it with him. And it was a great moment. Because of its amazing lyrics, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I was just, you know, I'd maybe had a few beers at that point, but I enjoyed it a lot. No, that that's awesome. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of, I'll kind of stick with that, but I will just throw in as an additional mention because it just struck me and it's far more fitting. Which is a lady of a certain age by the Divine Comedy. It's I'm not going to dig out any of the lyrics, but it's um, it's a great story, some great sort of rhymes in there, and it's a great song. But just to close with Born Free, all of the, the reason I think the lyrics fit it so well is because it's such a kind of triumphant, joyful song, I think. And the world still astounds you each time you look at the stars. I just like the kind of image that conjures up it's just you know being blown away by nature or whatever i I don't fucking know but it uh yeah put me out of my misery andy please i don't know (laughs) just you saying those lyrics made me remember the rainbow connection by the muppets and i thought why have i not got that in my fucking list there's nothing else i can take out to like i I really want to have the other four songs in there so (sighs) damn it (laughs) What a song. Anyway, uh, my number four, I wanted to have something from a bit more of a kind of, what I picked is basically an R&B song, but I kind of wanted something from a kind of hip-hop or R&B world where I think maybe the lyrics have a bit more importance than they do in some other genres. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've gone with Frank Ocean's Bad Religion. I don't know if any of you... Either of you know Frank Ocean or know that song? Sadly, not not my sphere, I'm afraid. But... I've heard of him. Yeah, it's not necessarily like straight up my sphere either. I think his lyrics are always good, and he's a really good vocalist, and just a bit more depth in his lyric writing than I think a lot of sort of similar artists. Yeah, but I don't know something about the song really uh, kind of. They're connected with as well is weird because I don't relate to any of the things that he's speaking about on a kind of personal level. Like the song starts off, taxi driver, be my shrink for the hour and leave the meter running. It's rush hour, so take the streets if you want to just outrun the demons, could you? And I think like 
although there are references to religion in the song, I don't think that the bad religion is his religion because it, mm-hmm. it kind of it talks about this like unrequited love, like his first love. As if the bad religion is the it's like bad relationship. Yeah, I think like it's kind of him loving somebody who doesn't love him back. But um, but like the object of his like affection is a man. So I think that the the song kind of deals a bit with um, like his sexuality and also his kind of relationship with his religion and his kind of cultural upbringing, like in light of that fact, like trying to balance it against like his um, his like feelings for a man. Oh, that sounds good. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. It's a cool song. Yeah, really good song. But yeah, I think the lyrics are just great throughout it. Like I could have picked literally anything to to read from it. I think it's uh like unrequited love. To me, it's nothing but a one-man cult and cyanide in my styrofoam cup. I can never make him love me. Is the chorus. It's a good song. Excellent. Cool. Okay, right. Well, my number four, after saying that I I don't have a big catalogue of hip hop. Uh, my next song is from the from the, world, the broad world of hip hop, and that is a "Letter from God to Man" by Dan Lassac versus Scroobius Pip. I considered putting a Scroobius Pip song in front of Bad Religion as mm-hmm. some kind of uh, pick from that world. Good, yeah, good choice. And yeah, of all of them, like there are a lot of good lyrics on show there, but I I like. I think as we said a couple of times, I kind of like the story to this one. Not as much a story, but it has a a forward momentum. And it is, as it says, like a sort of reverse letter from God to man. Sort of saying, like, I gave you all of the 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 tools and things that you need, and you're just you're fucking it up. You're being greedy and you're being cruel to each other and you're exploiting the planet. But it's done in this kind of conversational way. Uh, I guess God gets a kind of character <laughs> within the within the bounds of the lyrics. It's just really good. It's also like backed by a, a cool backing track uh, provided by Dan Lassac. And Radiohead. Uh, and Radiohead, yeah, sampled. But I think that's rather than any particular lines, all of which are are pretty good. Just picking out one there. Religion became a tool for the weak to control the strong. With all these new morals and ethics, survival of the fittest was gone. But it's really the the kind of the context of the song as a whole that I think gets it into my list. I think Scroobius Pip, the angrier that he gets, the uh, the more his lyrics work for me. Like I think when he's yeah. really enraged about something, I think that's when he's really he's, on one. Yeah, that's where he's super effective. <laughs> where his lyrics really come across, really Im- like embodies rage well. Yeah, just another quick one before I go on. Some of the deeds committed in my name just made me wonder where I went wrong. Back at the start when I created this, the foundation seemed so strong. <laughs> choice. Thank you. What, your number three, Marco? I'm desperately sort of racking my mind for, <laughs> for something else, but I, I'll stick with it. Follow my logic here. So I don't think this song is made great by the lyrics. But I think it's the only song that I probably know all the words from the start to the finish. And if I'm if it's playing in a car, it's one of the only songs that I will sing along to. Okay. So, I like I like this as a reason, to be honest. 
I'd, know, sing a, I, I'd sing along to anything regardless of whether I know the lyrics or not. <laughs> well, I just never know the lyrics. So the, <laughs> these these ones, for some reason, always stick in mind. And so for that reason, it's the third best uh, song based on his lyrics, which is absurd. But it is uh, Kalistan by Frank Black from the uh, masterpiece Teenager of the Year. Nice. Um, oh. Now... Earlier on in my head, I was going to try a little exercise where I sang the song without looking at the lyrics. I'm not going to do that. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, come on. I haven't, I haven't been on the uh, gym beam uh, this evening. That's the problem. That is your problem. But, um, oh, I mean, you know, I think the words are kind of cool. I don't think there's anything particularly... Uh, <laughs> No, I think to, to try and to try and help you justify this, I like that it has a, a separate emotional connection, though, but that is brought on by the lyrics, if not necessarily their content. But it, it has a, a, a different and special meaning for you. You know, they're, they're fun. It's fun. What's wrong with a bit of fun? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's, it's a great song. It's a great song. Lyrics are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they're not bad. Yeah. Great song, and it has lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, Andy, please think, put me out of my misery. I think, like, before we started recording, you said, um, this list is going to be a car crash. <laughs> and I thought, like, oh, no way. I'm sure, for sure, but it's got some good... I genuinely don't know. I don't understand what you... I don't understand what you would, what you thought the list was. That the, the rationale correct. was for me was thinking like thinking of any song where the words came to mind. So in that case, it does because the words always stick in my head. I don't. I don't disagree that I've not phrased the list very well, but <laughs> I think yeah. Hey, I'm, I, I'm I'm happy to accept it. I'm a, I. Uh... <laughs> I, I think it's a very sweet reason. I've, I, I like I, it. I, I'm enjoying your list a lot, Mark. I don't want to sound like I'm bad mouthing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been my favourite favorite part of the podcast so far, and I'm stoked for two and one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good, good. What's Until the, then, yeah, Andy, my... what's your number three? Uh, my number three. I wanted to put a protest song in there, so I've gone with although I don't think it was written by him, but uh, Barry Maguire, Eve of Destruction. Okay. Don't know if you know the song, either I, of you. I don't know it. It's a great, great prowess song. <laughs> I think it was, uh, well, it was written by P.F. Sloan. I think this is the most famous version of it. Um, it was written around the kind of Vietnam War, but I don't think it's kind of specific to that. I think it's just got a kind of, anti-war not even just anti-war like a kind of i think it touches on other like social issues as well kind of civil rights movement the draft in america a lot of radio stations banned it because it was they thought it was kind of aiding the Viet Cong in its kind of anti-usa <laughs> yeah. agenda but i just think the lyrics are great like they're incredibly straight to the point <laughs> and they're kind of i read that apparently it was like it was leaked the recording of it and they were kind of 
going to go back and re-record bits of the vocals and things like that. But after it was leaked, it was kind of done. Like the song was already out there, so they left it. And I think there is a bit of a kind of rawness to it as well that really works. But uh, the start of the lyrics, I could pick any bit because I think they're all great. But the song starts with the Eastern world, it is exploding, violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the River Jordan has got bodies floating. And you tell me over and over and over again, my friend, that you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Yeah, I think it's just a great, rad. I mean, it's just yeah. a great, great sort of progress. So Makes you just throw your, throw your fist in the sky. Yeah. There were other songs I considered as well, like in a sort of, I really like Costello, Elvis Costello when he gets on uh, on his high horse. I considered like Tramp the Dirt Down and mm. um, <laughs> and it's kind of anti-Thatcher rant. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's the perfect little protest song. It absolutely gets its message across. Like I say, with there's no subtlety to it at all. It just like slaps you in the face with it. I think it's great. I often yeah. like those, uh, like you get it with some American music, but those odd conspiracies where the CIA or FBI are involved. Uh, the one I heard most recently was the um, the CIA wrote the Scorpion song, Wind of Change. Is that because I told you to listen to that podcast? Oh, is that what it's from? Is it from that podcast? Yeah, I think, I knew so. I'd I heard think it. that's... <laughs> I knew I'd heard it recently, but I, the, pod- uh, the podcast I, "Wind of Change" is really good. You should definitely listen to it. I haven't listened to it, but I love the story, so I might now. <laughs> I never commit my sources to memory. <laughs> I think I told you about three times to listen to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it takes it takes four before I'll do anything. <laughs> so the best podcast I've listened to in a couple of years. <laughs> it's eight. But yeah, agreed. I also like those. Uh... I just, yeah, I really like those little tales. Mm, good. Well, right. Is it my number three. Again, going back into this sort of story aspect of lyrics, my number three is The Mercy Seat, originally by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but I heard it first through the sort of Johnny Cash, Cash cover version. And it's a story of a man sent to death row, the mercy seat being the electric chair, and throughout it sort of explaining how he's innocent and how it was a setup and how his skin will fry and and no one will care and that he's being thrown to the wolves until the very last sort of last few lines of the song where he just sort of admits, yeah, I did it and I deserve this. And I think the entire way through the song you are listening to and I think feeling for this innocent man who's being sent to death. But the final rug pull of the song is that, yeah, he done it. It's a great pick, Will. <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's, uh, it is a great song, but I think it is made a great song by its lyrics. Yeah. What you've done there. Is uh, is nailed. <laughs> nailed the I see what you've done there, lad. What you've done there is you've understood the premise of the list. <laughs> it's got it in that same it. category. Um, but there were definitely a few in the same category for me. Like uh, I hung my head and hurt. Obviously, both Johnny Cash covers of other songs, but also another two songs that I think that are fairly average songs elevated by their 
kind of story and, and lyrics. I was always really surprised to find out that my head was written by Sting, of all people. Sting's lyrics are often... I, I think we've had this discussion a lot. I'm not a big police it, fan, but I actually quite like Sting. That's it. It's nothing against him. It just... Uh, it's not what I'm familiar with Sting for. <laughs> I think his lyrics are often often good, though. Yeah, but in a kind of, for me at least, a, a jaunty kind of post-punk style. <laughs> it depends on it, like the sort of the singles are, but I don't think everything mm-hmm. is. I don't know why I'm defending fucking Sting. Fucking Sting. But yeah, there was a few in that pit, and I just thought the Mercy Seat probably has the best all-round narrative, I guess, to the song. Yeah. Oh, good pick. Okay, so that's obviously a substantial subject matter there, as was Andy's. <laughs> <laughs> the first, the first two lines to my <laughs> next choice are: "We sail tonight for Singapore. We're all as mad as hatters here," which is uh, the song "Singapore" by Tom Waits. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if it's deep and meaningful. It isn't at all. The reason I picked it was because the first time I listened to it, I was, again, transported to another world, and it was a nightmarish world of <laughs> like, uh, pirates and, I don't know, fairy tales and all sorts. But I are you familiar with this song? Absolutely. I, I love this song. And I think you're right. Like, I don't think that the lyrics necessarily have a message, but they're no. like the sort of like the Tim Burton of lyrics that they're sort of purposefully off kilter and have this fantasy. That's it. And obviously I was fully aware of the Tim Burton link this episode. Well played, man. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, there's just loads of cool lines. Um, I dance along a coloured wind dangled from a rope of sand. You must say goodbye to me. Cross your heart and hope to die when you hear the children cry. Let marrow bone and cleaver choose while making feet for children's shoes. And all done in his like croaky of old man monster voice. Yeah, and they do completely fit the the mad instrumentation of the song. Absolutely. Which again, I'd, I'd never heard anything like it at the time, which is why it really grabs me. Uh, it's just like loads of tuned percussion and weird instrumentation it doesn't yeah yeah i think you summed it up very well with the with the tim burton thing actually i liked what you said though about it transporting you to somewhere like i think it is something that can kind of paint a picture with with words and sound and does feel like it has a sort of identity in this terry pratchett like dank fantasy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're explaining it far better than than I was able to. But I do think he's a great lyricist in general. I think I picked that one, but it could have been any number. I really like Shore Leave. There's a later song by him, which is a bit more serious, called Alice, which I think Alice is stunning, beautiful lyrics, loads of lovely images. And, you know, could have picked that one, but I just thought... I can't remember what's the, what the song's called, or what's the one with, like... Uncle William has a tumor the size of an egg. Yeah. Uh, and his mistress, she's Puerto Rican, and she yeah. also has a wooden leg. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. <laughs> um, 
you yeah. know what, Mark? I've, I've taken the piss a bit, but I thought that was very well, uh, very well reasoned. Good pick. Well, I think Will basically gave the reasoning for me. Yeah, 50, <laughs> he delivered 50, it well. 50. He delivered it uh, well. Uh, only because I, I attached onto your pick. I do think it was a very, a very good pick. Let's let's move on. <laughs> uh, so my number two, I wanted to pick something from the kind of sphere of like musical comedy that I like. And then really disappointingly, just picked like quite a straight Tim Minchin song <laughs> instead of picking something that was actually funny. Um, what have I've you gone, gone for? I've gone for Beauty by Tim Minchin. I do um, know this one. I was listening to it on um, Spotify the other day, and I think I might have been at the recording for that because it was. Whenever you think you're at a live recording, you just shout out your name. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought I'd heard my own name on it. That was the vibe. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've not done any research, so I don't know if you played more than one show of that tour at the Manchester Arena, but I saw that tour at the Manchester Arena, and that was where it was recorded. So, you know, it's cool. Very possibly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's, I, I wanted to pick something by like him or possibly like Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. I think both of them are incredibly good lyricists. Yeah, this song is just, it's a really beautiful song anyway, I think personally. But like a lot of it, I'm giving my sort of interpretation. I don't really know if this is right or not, but I kind of get the feeling. It's almost like beauty is a almost like a character in the song. And I think it's, I mean, he says it at one point in the song, like I, like you paid to see satire and rage, like that's what mm-hmm. he kind of does. And it's it's almost like a criticism of people that use beauty as a kind of, it's for like mass consumption. It's an easy way to sell your song because yeah. the subject matter is beauty and love. And um, so he's written a beautiful song that is claiming to refuse to do that even though it clearly is using it as a subject. And yeah, I think like the kind of imagery in the song is uh, is super nice. It starts off, beauty is a harlot. She will dance with any bastard. She's undiscerning in her choice of partners. I could have her, of course, if I wish, but I object to her promiscuousness. Beauty just doesn't suit me. I'd say it's a beautifully written song, but I think the lyrics are just just superb without. Yeah, I'm very down with that. Okay, so my number two, I feel I've gone slightly into more Mark's direction, is that it's an Elvis Costello song because much as you commented earlier, Andy, Elvis Costello writes great lyrics all the time. And ultimately, I sort of just picked a song that I really liked that had great lyrics in it. Yeah, go for it. Ah, because I think you've picked New Amsterdam. Oh, it was basically a toss-up of one of two. <sighs> and New Amsterdam was the other side of the coin. Learn double Dutch from a real Dutch. Real double Duchess. What a line. But this one also has a fantastic line. And that line is, and you think you're a guest. You're a tourist at best, peering yeah. into the corners of my dark life. And uh, My Dark Life by Elvis Costello. I actually first heard this song on uh, your X-Files compilation CD, Marco, which was actually a really solid album, <laughs> like surprisingly is, yeah. for what it was. It's mm-hmm. jam-packed for songs. 
And I'd not heard this before because I, I think in the UK this wasn't released as part of an album. I think this is now part of a like US version of Spike or something has this on it. But until the internet, it was really hard to get hold of something like this. And I mean, it's full of really great lyrics, but that one in particular always stands out to me as just being one of his like crowning lyrics. And it's said with his usual like spitting satire that I always really enjoy. Like you said, he's normally at his best when he's at his, his most like pithy, his, yeah. <laughs> his most furious. No, great choice. Not going to uh, give any criticisms out for that. It's also a great yeah. song. It's less the story with Costello, although occasionally they matter, but like the throwaway lines are so good. Just, it's just, <laughs> it, yeah, he's, he's, he's like a wordsmith, isn't he? And it's just his way with individual lines. He, he sort of nails it like nobody else, I think. He's got a very, uh, very unique style of, of lyric writing. Yeah. Even in a sort of daft pop song, like mm. watching the detectives, the um, she files her nails while they're combing the lake. <sighs> yeah, it's it's so fucking good. But yeah, I, I just wanted to represent Costello and ultimately just picked a song that I really I really liked one specific line in. Nah, it's a it's a good choice, good choice. Yeah, so Marco, drum <clears throat> roll. Yeah. I, th- I think this is going to be a bit of a bit of a letdown when all said and done, because I do really like the lyrics in this one. The reason it's number one is because I think it's the perfect combination of words to music, and the way the music changes, and the way certain lines fall in a certain position in the song, and just to absolutely nail what it's trying to say, which is very simple, really. The song is uh, Man of the World by Fleetwood Mac, Mm. which is one of my favourite songs of all time. And it is definitely a lot to do with the lyrics. Um, There's not that many of them. I'm just going to run through it super quick. So it's obviously quite downbeat opening. Shall I tell you about my life? They say I'm a man of the world. I've flown across every tide and I've seen lots of pretty girls. I guess I've got everything I need. I wouldn't ask for more, and there's no one I'd rather be. But I just wish that I'd never been born. And that line is just kind of left to itself and like all reverved up. I'd never like a hammer blow. Yeah. And then the lyrics change their theme a little bit and it kicks into that like great Fleetwood Mac upbeat blues. And I need a good woman to make me feel like a good man should. I don't say I'm a good man, oh, but I would be if I could. Then it kicks back to the downbeat stuff. I could tell you about my life and keep you amused, I'm sure, about all the times I've cried and how I don't want to be sad anymore and how I wish I was in love. Which is a a killer last line. Again, it's all fairly bait stuff, I guess, but it's just the way those lines fall like the last line just melds into this lovely kind of open instrumental section it's just a perfectly constructed song and again it's just you know some of those words you know they're not i don't know that they're particularly deep or like well constructed necessarily but i said it a few weeks ago about peter green it helps that he sings everything like he means it. And he was obviously a troubled guy as well. So I fully believe that he sort of means every word that he's saying. Yeah. I think it, it 
kind of goes back to that thing I was saying about not being able to separate the song from the lyrics. Like it doesn't That's matter. It. it doesn't matter how beautifully you write lyrics if you can't sell them. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, there's there's a a beauty and simplicity at times, and just yeah, I I <laughs> for all the uh, disastrous picks I've had, I'm actually okay with that one being there. Um, yeah, I do think it's a. Uh, well, as I say, it's just one of my favourite songs, and and yeah. the words definitely play a large part in why. Uh, I think that's a good choice. It actually, used to be uh, my first guitar teacher. It was one of his favourite songs, and like mm-hmm. he'd play the picking part and have me strumming along to learn chords to. So I have that's a awesome. sort of yeah very very different nostalgic tie to mm-hmm. that song that isn't based on his lyrics at all. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, fond of it nonetheless. Nice. Uh, so my number one, I say like I found this list like quite hard to like cut songs down. There's a hell of a lot that I easily could have put in it, but um, I never really like considered anything else as my number one choice. And it is uh, Chelsea Hotel number two by Leonard Cohen. I remember one saying that like Leonard Cohen is just a poet, like puts his poems to songs. Which is mm. a bit a bit harsh, I think, because actually I think like there's plenty of like songwriting quality going on there, but mm. um, his lyrics are the thing I think that like lifts his songs like so far above what they actually are as songs. Uh, yeah, com- completely agree. I mean, even at the point in his career when he was just using almost exclusively MIDI backing it was still worth listening to for the lyrical content, despite the fact that it sounded like a Casio keyboard. Mm. Yeah, so the song is, I think it's pretty well accepted, although I don't think Leonard Cohen ever said it, but it's about relationship that he had with Janis Joplin. Mm. I think it kind of references, like there's a little hidden like drug references in there, like the line and clenching your fist for the ones like us who are oppressed by the figures of beauty. The end of that verse is so, like, heartbreaking as well. You fixed Mm -hmm. yourself. You said, well, never mind. We are ugly, but we have the music. Everything in that song is just beautifully written. The ending, I don't really know how I interpret the ending, but the last line always has a big, like, impact on me, I think. It says, I don't mean to suggest that I loved you the best, I can't keep track of each fallen robin. I remember you well in the Chelsea Hotel. That's all. I don't think of you that often. I don't know if it's Leonard Cohen, like, genuinely just saying, like, the affair kind of meant no more, no less than any other relationship. Just mm-hmm. is. Or, or whether it's a, it's a lie to himself or, like, a lie to his audience. Or, but yeah. I don't know. But it's, it's a super cool sign-off. It's a great sign-off, but I, I honestly could have read like literally any lyric from that song because I just think it's, yeah, unbelievably well-written. Okay. it's a great pick. Yeah, superb choice. Right, well, my number one then is by XTC. Not necessarily uh, a... Can I guess again? You can, but this time I don't think you're going to get it, but nonetheless... I didn't get it right last time. <laughs> no, good point. Let's go for 100%. Cool. Dear God. No. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. That's what you'd guess. 
Uh, in this instance, again, it's, it was more a case of representation. I don't think it's something they're really well known for, but actually I, I, I think XTC lyrics are pretty great throughout. Agreed. Um, sometimes subtly so, and sometimes just because they work like in the kind of patter or pace of the song, but I actually think their lyric writing is pretty good. The one I've picked out is The Smartest Monkeys, which, I mean, not to drum up a theme, but is a fairly satirical, pithy look at uh, kind of human society and greed and how we consider ourselves as the most evolved kind of creature on the planet and yet sort of uh, make such awful mistakes in terms of pollution and homelessness. And starts with the lyrics, well, man created the cardboard box to sleep in it and man converted the newspaper to a blanket. And it goes on in that kind of uh, that kind of gist of, despite our advances, we just leave a lot of people behind. It's a, it's a really interesting pick. Pretty sure it's a Colin Moulding one, isn't it? Uh, you know what? I've done no research, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, Colin Moulding wrote this one. And, and again, it was a case of kind of picking a song. This one, I think I like the meaning of the song more than maybe any individual lyrics. I think it it tells its message without being overly obvious and just sort of <laughs> explaining what they mean. But they use very simple metaphor as well. Like they're also not trying to obfuscate their message either. So that's why I picked it. I never really considered a xcc song but uh you're right like their lyrics are consistently great there's good stuff in there yeah no it's good good pick cool yeah absolutely superb well that's all of our lists sorted got any honorable mentions oh absolutely yeah i do the first one actually i didn't write this one down but it came into my head while we were talking was uh, I'll Sail the Ship Alone by the Beautiful South. Ah. There was one that was going to be in my top five, and I, I whipped it out at the last minute. And the reason I took it out is because the entire thing is based on one word. And when you gave your spiel at the beginning, Andy, you sort of said, like, I wasn't thinking about just one, you know, <laughs> one part of a song. Well, yeah, that's fine, though. Can I guess? Well, I'm just, I'm, yeah, yeah. Do go ahead. <laughs> I've been wrong two out of two so far, so I'm pretty I think you sure. Might, I think you might get this one. Though. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be wrong again, but I'm going to go for um, "Love Me for a Reason" and let the reason be love. Originally by the Osmonds. Yeah. Now Am this I is right? not a. You are spot on. <laughs> I just know that you'd love that one lyric in it. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a this is not a song of blistering lyrics. This no. pop song, but within that pop song is the line "Honey, give me love," not a facsimile of. And anybody who gets facsimile into a pop song is all right by me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Though the rest of the lyrics are shite. I also had "One Week" by the Bare Naked Ladies because when I was a teenager, that was a song that everybody wanted to learn all of the lyrics of. Um, fake palindromes, Andrew Bird. It's, it's pretty dark when you when you pick the lyrics apart a little bit. That's more or less it for me. Did anyone else have any honourables? 
Nothing specific, really. I And I, I think this is the problem. I sort of approached it from the wrong angle, clearly. But I was just desperately trying to think of things. And there's there's loads of great lyrics by, you know, early Bowie, take your pick, really. I did consider like people like Costello, but I quite like some of Kate Bush's lyrics, quite like some of Bjork's lyrics. Now yeah. you mention it, it's, I didn't even I didn't even have to save your machine in my honourable mentions, and it, it should have at least got that far. Do you have any, Andy? Any, any additions? Yeah, there were loads of people I wanted to include something by. Um, you've said a couple of them. Joni Mitchell, Paul Simon as well. Mm, um, Paul Simon's a great lyricist, isn't he? Mm. Um, Flowers Never Bend has a particularly great set of lyrics. I I was going to have Cat Stevens' song Sad Lisa as my number one, as my number one, as my number five, uh, instead of Samson, which is just... Uh, I don't even know if Lisa's like a real character or whether it's just... Uh, just a name for a song. Yeah, just a general anyone who's like dealing with depression and mm-hmm. like Cat Stevens' inability to help her, but <laughs> the lyrics are super nice in that. Cat Stevens' lyrics are always good. I've got a couple of like more interesting ones, I think. So I didn't pick them because I don't have a sort of emotional connection to the song, but they're still great lyrics, like Jolene, um, mm-hmm. Dolly Parton. Yeah. Great lyrics. Great so lyrics. The Abba song, The Winner Takes It All, which I think context is everything for, because, you know, Abba was essentially like two couples, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And The Winner Takes It All was written... Um, as one of the couples were divorcing. It was written by the guy and the woman sings it. Ah, it's a fucking brutal breakup song. Like, I think from that, <laughs> <laughs> the kind of context of the song and who's singing it, you just think, like, this song from my ex-wife to sing. I don't know how these things happen in music. No. If it were me, I'd just say, I'm just not going to do it. No. <laughs> I'm just not going to make the song. Um, and lastly, I don't actually love the song, but I really like the lyrics in uh, Kylie Simon's You're So Vain. Yes. It's just a, <laughs> just try in a like, quite like bitter sort of aggressive <laughs> retort to an ex-boyfriend, but also to clarify in the chorus, like, You're So Vain, you probably think this song's about you. It's, it's not even about you. <laughs> it's, it's genius. I've yeah. Always, yeah, like I say, don't actually love the song. It's uh, it's fine, but I think the lyrics are superb. So, yeah, that's mine. Wonderbar. Well, that is all from us at the Screen and Needle podcast. Uh, next week will be my picks. So, for my film next week, I have picked I'm Thinking of Ending Things from 2020, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. It's been mentioned before in other contexts. The album is uh, Mini Mansions, self-titled album, Mini Mansions from 2010. And my top five is top five, and I mean this by like actual songs used as TV themes. I only specify that because I, I don't mean themes specifically written for telly, like the countdown theme or Coronation Street. But where a song has been used as a TV theme, I want your top five. I've got two Matt Berry picks in there already. Sweet, isn't it? 
Thanks for joining us and come back next week while we'll speak about the new film, the new album and the new list and have another pint or two. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.